12 after 11 o'clock. Uh, welcome to the third and final hour of the show. Coming up in this segment, as you heard, we continue our series in partnership uh, with the Central Energy Fund. And um, we, of course, have been featuring various stakeholders in the energy sector and unpacking conversations that are really uh, relevant to the sector. And hopefully it's been providing insight into what we need to be doing collectively as a country to ensure that we are able to secure our energy needs for the future. Today, we're talking about the price of fuel and how that is calculated. Robert Mage is the Director for Fuel Pricing Mechanism at the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy. Robert, good morning to you. Thanks for your time this morning. Good morning, Katie and the listeners. Thank you for the opportunity. Unfortunately, we are at a period where we're paying so much more for both petrol and diesel and other forms of fuel, um, at least in September, than we were in January. Of course, you know, consumers feel like they're under just so much pressure. It's an onslaught uh, for the consumer. But what actually goes into this price and what are the things, and maybe let me not get ahead of ourselves, of myself, let's begin with what goes into this price of fuel. Why is it what we pay? Yeah, the, the, the reason really why we are paying what we are paying is mainly because we don't have our own local resources of oil uh, and gas to produce a petroleum product, which is for petrol and diesel. So we import both uh, oil and finished products, and these are determined by international sectors. So in, when it comes to that, we are really a price taker. We cannot determine the price. So in our pricing formula, we have these two sections where one part is the import part, uh, which for petrol amount to around 14 rand to 15 rand, and diesel is around 16 rand to bring it to South Africa. You know, it includes shipping costs, insurance, and everything else. And then the second part is your local factors where you have your your fuel levies, road accident fund, transportation costs, industry margins, and so forth. And that amounts to around 10 rand on petrol and about 8 rand on diesel. So this will then bring your total amount per litre of petrol to 26 in Houghton, 26 rand in Houghton. I mean 25 rand, just over 25 rand in Houghton. It, 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 it's quite a, a high price, as you've mentioned, sort of when we look at what we are paying right now. If we were to reconfigure what goes into this price, what are some of the areas when we talk about reform that a department like the Department of Minerals and Energy has been made aware of where they could be reform when it comes to the price of fuel? Well, what is currently uh, being presented to Parliament is uh, on the road on the road accident fund, which is something that is led by the Department of Transport. Uh, our department is only one of the stakeholders, but it's led by the Department of Transport. So that's one area where we could get something if it's changed. We are currently paying around $218 on the road accident fund on both petrol and diesel per liter. Uh, the other part that... that you, that we might likely not get much movement is on the on the fuel levy, which is also led by the Department of National Treasury, uh, not necessarily our department. So there, unfortunately, because government needs money uh, to to budget for the economy, to distribute to municipalities, uh, aid on entities, and everybody else, 
uh, we may not be able to see any much change on the on the fuel levy. But as I'm saying, I'm I'm saying this with limited uh, limited knowledge because it's administered by another department. The contentious conversation here when we talk about um, something that at least is within your hands as the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy is the deregulation of fuel and in particular of, 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 of petrol prices. We've deregulated diesel. Why are we not deregulating petrol? Yeah. Yeah, let's just clarify that diesel was never really regulated as far as uh, I, I, I recall even when I joined the department. And the reason for that is because diesel was used, it's used mainly in the commercial space, in your farming industry, transportation sector, mining, and so forth. So the idea at the time was to afford these people who are using it for commercial purposes to be able to negotiate uh, for discounts and so on. So it's more like an economic uh, uh, fuel, if you like, in the sense. Now, even during that time, we didn't have a lot of diesel vehicles that were filling at the pump station. We acknowledge that recently now have more vehicles that are using diesel because it's more efficient and it's more cleaner now than in the previous years. So that's something that we may consider in terms of whether it should be regulated or not. But the point I want to make it is that even though diesel is not regulated at the pump, you can, if you move around service station, you realize that the price is more or less the same, uh, even though it's not regulated by government. That shows you that even if government ca- cannot regulate, it does not mean it will result in lower prices. That's something we need to, to, to take note from that as well. However, the issue of deregulation, Kathy, is in our energy white paper as a, as a, as a, as a department, to say, in the long term, we need to deregulate the petroleum industry. <laughs> However, there are preconditions for deregulation. Firstly, you need to transform the industry. Secondly, you need to level the playing field so that KTP2I Limited Petroleum Company can be able to compete with the big boys in the industry. Currently now, KT Petroleum buys from these uh, petroleum companies, and you cannot compete with them on price if you buy from them. So we only have about six main big players in the industry at the moment. The rest of the new players actually are their customers. And in a deregulated market, definitely these small guys will be wiped out of the market because they cannot compete with the big boys on price. We can have a case study of Kenya, where the Kenyan government deregulated the industry, and after a while the price shot up, and they decided to come back and introduce the price cap. Because uh, after deregulation, the price did not necessarily go down. So for deregulation to work, you need a mature market where many players are involved and can compete on price. Then it can result in price being lowered. Thank you. Let's talk about South Africa's experience versus what is happening in the rest of the region. Um, and, and I'm referencing SADC here. Are other countries selling their fuel for, let's say, cheaper than what South Africa does per litre? Well, the, we can start with the FACU member states, you know, Botswana, Lesotho, Namibia, and so forth. Uh, Botswana, Lesotho, and Swaziland, they are selling less than South Africa on the pump, uh, even though some of them, if you look at Lesotho, Botswana, they buy from South Africa. And the reason they are doing that is because they don't have the fuel levy and the road extent fund that we have in our price structure. Remember, this year, ladies and road fund, they're only our local sectors. They don't apply to 
other neighboring countries. They have their own local structures there. So these neighboring countries, when they buy from South Africa, they buy at the import price plus transport cost to get the product to their to their country. So in other words, they buy at this 14 rand, for example, on petrol, and then they'll include transportation costs, whatever cost, until it gets to Botswana. When it gets to the border of Botswana, Botswana government then will have their own local sectors that they factor into the pricing formula. There are countries like uh, Nigeria and so on that have crude oil that provide subsidies for fuel prices based on the sale of their oil and the use to subsidize the prices. So you may find there are countries that may sell less than South Africa, especially because they subsidize the prices. Robert, it, uh, there's something that's coming to mind, and, and you, you, you'll bear with me if I'm getting the details wrong. But I recall a period, sort of just coming out of COVID-19, where the department had actually made concessions around the price of fuel, simply because of the economic impact that um, it was having, especially the state of the, of the country, many people facing high unemployment numbers. And I think just for a couple of months, there were concessions around the fuel levy. Is the department looking at all to, to do something like that again? Would that be possible given where things are right now? Katie, you may know that uh, currently we have uh, what is known as austerity measures in government. So it means our government does not have money. Uh, the concession that was made uh, was in conjunction with the Department of National Treasury. Uh, at the time, we then reduced the the, the fuel levy by 150 to at least cushion the prices for consumers. I think that was done for for two months. The first two months, it was April and May, and then it was then extended to June and, and then terminated at the end of July. And the first period when it was done for two months, uh, it costed the, the 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 government around 450 billion rand, and that money was going to be recovered from the sale of strategic stock by the SFS and then pay that money over to National Treasury. That was the first phase. The second phase, the, the National Treasury had to readjust its, its budget and had to go to Parliament for approval to do that. So the second phase is not necessarily going to be recovered from anywhere. It's just readjustment of the budget. So that's what was done, uh, Katie, to, to, to assist consumers in cushion prices at the time. The chances of it happening again, uh, in my view, is very limited. And it's largely because of the fact that government doesn't have money. That's correct. We're in conversation with Robert Mike. He's the Director for Fuel Pricing Mechanism at the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy. We'll take a quick break. We'll continue with him shortly. We continue the conversation on the talking point and really digging into um, the fuel price and what is factored into that amount that you and I end up paying at the pumps. Um, Just a message here that I think really um, encapsulates what so many South Africans would be feeling. Rodney from the Northern Cape says says that, um, hi, Kathy. Visiting a petrol station is just so traumatizing these days. No amount of explanation will be able to ease the pain that's felt by motorists. Yanush, you're out in Cape Town. You have a question for Robert. Good morning. Hi. Good morning, Kathy. My question is who controls that uh, artillery 
who owns them. I understand it's Chevron, isn't it? And there's one company also who got a refinery and in Durban and in Cape Town. Uh, yeah. So we haven't got any competition there. If we had a competition where this other company will produce this, uh, this uh, uh, change from oil, oil into the petrol, it will be better. But I heard that the, the Chevron contract is going to be finished next year. And why is only one, good one, one company who is, yeah. who is doing this? So it, it's not, not right. And also, what will be percentage in the whole world? When you go to the petrol station in Europe, wherever, you don't have workers at petrol station attendants who who putting their petrol standing there. What is the percentage of the, the income uh, into the petrol? Because I know the jobs. I know that we're, we're going to lose 40,000, 50,000 people. And, uh, but the price of the petrol, will this go down? And in the same way, let's say we can be better in the industry. Oh, what what is his opinion? But also tomorrow is going to be Friday, Katie. Right. You're going to be have a lovely day tomorrow talking about music. All uh, right. I like, I like to listen to you on Friday. <laughs> Fantastic, Janusz. Stay tuned tomorrow. Janusz out in Cape Town. So a couple of issues there. Um, the issue around retailers and the margins that, that they make, uh, Robert, uh, the retailers, in fact, have been complaining about the fact that their margins have been decreasing over the years. So they're making less let's say, in 2023 than they were making 10 to 15 years ago. Yeah, Katie, I'll beg to differ with them because uh, if you follow our announcement every December, uh, the retail margin has always been increasing. Uh, there's no year that we never adjusted the, the retail margin. I think the, the challenges for retailers in the main is their lease agreement with the oil companies because the oil companies take part of the retail margin and another part goes to the retailers. So Maybe the problem is in the, how they split the margin between the two parties. But in the main, if we show you our record, every year the retail, in fact, all the margins have been increasing on a yearly basis. The issue of refineries is a significant one because it really doesn't only speak to our present, but also to our future. How long then we remain with this challenge for? I didn't really get the question from the gentleman the, the, about the, the, the question was about the state of refineries in this country. Why we're not re- investing in having our own refineries and you know some of the contracts that are run by the big the big six as 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 you put it, and the extent to which these companies continue to reinvest money um into the sector, but in the form of being able to refine for ourselves. Yeah, that's uh, that's a very a very uh, con- serious concern even for government because the government wants to build uh, its own refinery, and sometimes you get the same stakeholders saying government is getting involved in private business. But we have seen in many parts of the world that the state-owned companies play a very important role role in in the petroleum sector. So I can just say to you, there was plans to have a government refinery, build a government refinery in the, in, uh, in KZN with some funders from Saudi Arabia, and they did feasibility studies and so on. Unfortunately, the refinery could not take off the ground because the investors uh, apparently withdrew for other reasons and so on. But it's public knowledge that the minister announced in one of the conferences uh, that uh, he's talking to his counterpart in Namibia with the possibility of having a joint refinery at the border of South Africa and Namibia, where Namibia has just recovered a lot of oil and gas. So the government is really considering 
a state-owned refinery, especially given the state of our refinery, that mo most of them are very old. Uh, some of them have now closed down permanently and so on. So that's uh, something that is at the table of our government at the highest level. And as soon as there are developments, uh, obviously they'll be uh, uh, published to the media. Jimmy, you're in Khobukwani. Briefly for me, Jimmy, good morning. Good morning, Josh I want to ask, uh, because South Africa is a member of BRICS, and countries like Russia, Iran just came into play now. Why can't they uh, buy uh, oil from China the same way India did, I think, sometimes uh, last year? Thank you so much. All right, Jimmy. Robert? Yeah, Jimmy is raising a very important point there. But, but remember that the government is not necessarily involved in the buying and selling uh, of oil or petroleum products. In South Africa, we have these main companies that are coming from Europe and operating in South Africa. If you look at your Shell, BP, Total, and so on. So these are the companies that they will refine the oil if it comes to South Africa. Unfortunately, because of the sanctions, they cannot get any oil from Russia. All right, I've got one WhatsApp voice note for you that I think is important for you to respond to quickly, Robert, before we let you go. Hi, Kathy. Fezile from Pretoria here. Um, I've worked in the energy sector in Swaziland, and just a correction to the gentleman, that the reason why fuel prices sell lower at the pump in countries like Swaziland is not because of a lack of a, an RAF equivalent levy. They do have road accident funds, and that levy is factored into the price of fuel. But it's the governments that apply a subsidy to the price of fuel at the pump and that subsidy is simply funded by the taxpayer from the national treasury that is the actual reason why um, uh, prices are lower at the pump that is the main reason for it yeah Kathy, uh, we have a regular meeting with our colleagues from miswatini the soto Botswana, and namibian swaziland and we compare all our pricing formulas and structures. What he's saying is partially correct because their levy is not the same as ours. Their road, uh, road, road levy is much less than ours. They don't have the fuel levy as much as ours in terms of the, the amount. But the, the, this assistance that he's talking about from the government, they have a slate levy. What happens is when the price goes down of fuel in Swaziland, they take some of the money and put it in the in the in the in the fund. Uh, they build up a buffer. So when the prices go up, they take that money from the buffer to cushion to cushion the, the prices for the consumers. It's a similar sort of system that is used in uh, in, uh, in Namibia and Botswana, and that's something that we are looking at in South Africa as well. It is something that we can apply in our country. It certainly does sound like. Um the, the, you know, th those could be models that we could also benefit from. Robert, we're completely out of time. Robert Maggie, Director for Fuel Pricing Mechanism at the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy. It's time for your latest news headlines. This energy feature was proudly brought to you by the Central Energy Fund, securing energy solutions to power all.